0: That's what it sounded like Sunday on I-24 News when hundreds of Ethiopian residents of Israel protested outside the office of the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. They were begging the government to stage another Operation Solomon. Harkening back to the stunning rescue 30 years ago, when Israeli agents airlifted thousands of Ethiopian Jews, known as Falashas, to Israel in just a few days in 1991, during the waning months of the regime of Ethiopia's Marxist dictator Mengistu Haile Mariam. You might have seen the movie The Red Sea Diving Resort, which was based on the true story. Well, fast forward to today. Then, after years of stability, Ethiopia is again mired in a civil war. There are reports of atrocities on both sides, and the UN can't get its humanitarian food in. And Israel's now under pressure to finish what it started by evacuating the remaining Ethiopian Jews and also those who claim Jewish heritage but may be Christian. And watching it all from Canada is Yaffa Tegenye. She's a Montreal lawyer and human rights activist, and her father was the late Baruch Tegenye. He was the first Ethiopian Jew to make it to Canada in the late 1970s, and he sounded the alarm to the world about the plight of his people. It was thanks to his relentless campaign that the subsequent large-scale rescues of Falasha Jews came about, including the first Operation Solomon and before
1: that Operation Moses. A lot of people now... 30 40 years later remember well yeah i remember i saw your dad at this you know at this synagogue at this lecture i remember when this kid came to my school i remember i had a ethiopian girl in my class you know 30 years ago so i mean we've been in montreal and in canada a while now so people know yeah.
0: i'm ellen besner and this is what jewish canada sounds like for wednesday november the 17th 2021 welcome to the cjn daily sponsored by metropia During the 1980s and 90s, Yafet Tegenye's father was the most high-profile Ethiopian activist, urging the Jewish diaspora to support his ancient community. With ties back to King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, some called them the Lost Tribe of Dan. As a young man, Baruch had to flee his native country when the regime tried to arrest him for being an Israeli spy. He walked across Ethiopia and through Sudan, and after nearly three years, he made it to Israel and convinced the Israeli government to rescue his people from famine, drought, and anti-Semitism. But it took years before any of the large-scale operations took place. So in the interim, Baruch moved to Montreal, married a Canadian woman, Susan Mijakovsky, and they started bringing his relatives and cousins out, thanks to private sponsors in the Jewish community and the help of the Quebec and Canadian governments. The Ethiopian community in Israel is now 10 times the size it was when he launched his rescue efforts, and there is still a small one living in Canada. Baruch died in Israel over 10 years ago in December of 2010, and he was 66. Coming up, his daughter Yafa will be here to discuss her father's legacy and the people he saved and what you should know about the ones still trapped in the current conflict. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now.
1: I'm Seth Klein in Vancouver on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like.
0: Remember we did that story about the teenager who created a daily prayer book app for Apple Watches? Well, Eitan Steinfeld tells me that since the story aired, he received a ton of new downloads and he's already created a new app. This one is for Psalms, all 150 to heal him. Apple accepted his submission and the new app is live as of a few days ago. Eitan is 14, lives in Toronto, and he started coding these apps after his grandmother gave him an Apple Watch for his bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm if you're of a certain age, you might have participated in the rallies and protests in Canada in the 1970s to free Soviet Jews. I know my family did. And then just a few years later, Canada's Jewish community was presented with another rescue challenge to take Ethiopian Jews out and bring them to safety in Israel or the diaspora. And Baruch Tegenye was at the center of that movement. His daughter Yaffa joins me now from Dollard. The current war, civil war, in Ethiopia uh, has prompted, as I mentioned, Sunday's demonstration uh, asking to hurry up and get the last groups or some groups or I don't actually know how many numbers of people to Israel and, and airlift them there. Uh, are you watching this, first of all, uh, closely? Are you watching the situation there and, and what do you make of, of, um, of this latest uh, urgency that Israel's under pressure?
1: Um, the situation is touchy um, people have to understand that the, it's about 5,000 people that they're looking to bring um, that they're looking to bring from Ethiopia. Uh, I believe that the people who are interested or, or pushing to bring them to Israel are using this political situation as a way to put pressure on the government. Um, on the Israeli side, I believe that there isn't any clear evidence that there is any immediate danger for these specific 5,000 people. You know, from in terms of the conflict, that they're in, in any more danger than anybody else in the country. Um, that being said, I think bringing them, you know, these are mora and that's an entire other issue. Um, these, so the basis of them coming to Israel would be based on family reunification and humanitarian assistance. And I think that's the ultimate reason that we, you know, the Israeli government has to decide what its, you know, strategic or geopolitical interests are versus their humanitarian commitments. So
0: can we can we explain a little bit and unpack the, the whole Falashmura?
1: So the term Falasha was a term that that Christians uh, used to, to um, it means stranger or other or foreigner. Um, and that's the term that was used to describe Jews. Uh, mora are a different group, they're people uh, around the uh, I believe, the turn of the century, um, many Jews were forced into conversion and they essentially said either become Christian or have all your lands taken away and they became tenant farmers instead of landowners and many people left, it was under tremendous duress, um, and many people left the faith and became Christian. Uh, that being said, it was still communities, ties, families that some people became Christian, some people stayed. Um, it's complicated issue. Uh, many Ethiopian Jews in Israel do not feel that these, you know, that that the fleshmore should be brought to Israel. Uh, many people do not agree that they should intermarry. Uh, they feel that they're Christian and they were they left the faith, and you know, they others preserved the faith and suffered the consequences. So that's kind of the uh, debate. On the other hand, based on family reunification, if you have a a close family member, a parent or a brother or sister who went to Israel because they were Jewish, you under the law of reunification have the right to go live with your family, which is something that most, you know, modern immigration systems, uh, you know, accommodate for. Um, And it's become a humanitarian issue because at the end of the day, we are saving lives, we are improving lives, we're strengthening the diversity and um, the community of Israel by bringing people and giving them opportunity to better their lives. Um, and, and that's kind of where it stands. It's just a matter of when does this end? You know, how many more you bring, have more connections and more family? And like, you know, there's been many times where they've tried to end this Aliyah and uh, it seems to continue to be a continuous issue. So it's, it's touchy for the Israeli government, I think.
0: Also because the optics are so fraught. If you don't rescue people, you're accused of being heartless. You know, how could you do this? You weren't rescued, I should say, during the Holocaust. And then it causes more social problems in Israel, too. So it's plus, do they need Ethiopia? in that area for, you know, strategic reasons.
1: There's a really good documentary called uh, Jerusalem, which I think uh, JNF is gonna show sometime soon, I heard. Um, But it really elaborates upon the details of the geopolitics and the, you know, the interest and strategy of Israel, uh, how much it invested in infrastructure and security and all kinds of technology in Ethiopia. Um, you know, uh, how essentially they really did have to pay for taking out the Jews and how that impacted the leader. He, you know, they paid him and he left and it changed the history and, of, of Ethiopia.
0: You know, what do you, when you observe your family or relatives and how things are in Israel for the Ethiopian community, what are the two or three main challenges that need to be fixed, in your opinion?
1: Look, I mean, the I, it comes down to, you know, you are a visible minority no matter what. And it doesn't matter how many waves of immigrants that you have from different countries in Israel, Ethiopians, after two, three generations still look Ethiopian. Um, so there is a certain it's definitely more difficult for them to escape um, the discrimination. And I think that it's gotten better than it was necessarily for previous generations. Uh, There's definitely more integration into the mainstream, mainstream music, arts, culture. You know, you're seeing a lot of success stories. There's uh, surgeons, uh, two two judges, a new cabinet minister. There's a few ministers. Um, that being said, I think that Ethiopians have always uh, been fighting for their rights from the beginning, including, you know, the reason, I think part of the reason of the that the immigration in Aliyah happened was because they organized, my father and other leaders in the community organized back in the 70s, they've always organized to assert their rights, whether it was uh, against forced conversions, whether it was uh, it to, to add, demand their rights as uh, to recognize their leaders as uh, part of, as Rabbanut, the the, the Casey weren't recognized for a long time. So this is part of their, their story and their struggle. I think that they've made gains and I'm happy that they're even getting, frankly, angrier uh, uh, than they ever, and louder than more powerful than they ever were and taking their seat in Israeli democracy because you have to yell in Israel. I think everybody knows that you have to yell a bit in Israel. And um, uh, I think it's a good thing. And they should demand to be treated equally uh, and and have equal rights in Israeli society. I don't, you know, for them.
0: I remember and speaking to people who lived through that time uh, when uh, Montreal's Jewish community and also eventually Toronto's Jewish community started to uh, bring people to Canada and also uh, create awareness and lobby uh, for the plight of uh, Jews of Ethiopia, but it took a while to get the organized community to actually buy into this. There was uh, not a speedy response when your father was raising the alarm. Um, you know, Do you remember what, or did he tell you what his frustrations were uh, trying to do this race against time to get them here? Um, I
1: think that that was his you know constant struggle from the beginning of his experience of coming to Israel um and and being an advocate in Israel and in his younger years so he always understood that you know this is going to be the narrative I'm going to go in front of all these you know established Jewish community uh institutions and they're going to question me and they're going to throw these questions it, it wasn't new to him like I think the the, the how the reaction went was pretty standard uh, all around because he'd been doing this since he was really young um, on the other hand, I think it also is a reflection of the entire story in that there's always been people who have been skeptical and who have always resisted the idea of the Aliyah of the Ethiopian Jews. And there's always been people who were really open, really helpful, really supportive with money, with, you know, uh, uh, activism or even taking people into their homes. So it, that's that's entwined in the narrative, whether you want to see, you know, if you want to see the racism that goes on in Israel, you want to see the success stories of the community as well. So it's always kind of that's how how it plays out, I think, uh, how the story plays out in general. Um, and I do. But I do know it, it was very difficult for him on a personal level to have to deal with that constantly because he was just trying to save his family, literally just trying to get people out of one of the most desperate um, and terrible situations, uh, political situations in the world at the time. And for him, it was a matter of life, life or death and piquach nefesh. And people were kind of sitting here and debating, you know, from Canada, whether they were Jews or not, or, or Black and all of this stuff. So I definitely warred him over time, for sure.
0: As we mark, you know, we're coming up towards the death of your dad. You know, how are you marking or is there anything that you will be doing um, for your father's legacy this year?
1: So, actually, last year, um, I, I spearheaded a uh, scholarship program in his name at Tel Aviv University, the Barak-Tagene Scholarship Fund for Ethiopian students. Um, and uh, we established a scholarship fund to assist uh uh, Ethiopian students get higher education specifically in Tel Aviv, at Tel Aviv University. We really wanted them to have that, you know, those access to higher level uh, academic institutions in Israel, uh, because there was a low uh, attendance rate in both Hebrew U and Tel Aviv University. Um, so that's something that I worked on last year. Um, this year, I'm also, uh, I, I'm in consulting with the Goodman Foundation, and that's another family from Montreal that's making a huge donation and trying to establish further scholarships scholarship funds to uh, increase graduate level studies because there's a real lack of graduate level uh, Ethiopian graduates and masters and PhDs. Um, to uh, improve access to those fields. Um, and uh, we've all and the Goodmans have also created the Orit, um the Oritz program, which is a special program within Tel Aviv University that is dedicated to preserving cultural, the cultural heritage and traditions and religious practices of the Ethiopian Jews, which are uh, dying out with the older generation. So um, that's what I'm doing. That's what I keep doing. That's what I did last year. Um, I think I honor my father's legacy as much as I can whenever I can. Um, and, um, oh, and there's also a basketball league, a really interesting basketball tournament that's happening this Friday in Israel. It is a Ethiopian basketball league with 28, I think it's 28 teams from across the country and they're doing it in honor of my father this year. So lots of interesting things going on. Lots of, um, yeah, lots of interest in this issue lately. And I'm happy. (laughs) And that's what Jewish Canada
0: sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality and customer care. Today's listener shout out goes to Cheryl Gensher of Thornhill. And we'll close with a sneak peek at tomorrow's episode. This is actually going to be part two of our look at the anniversary of Operation Moses, which is coming up this weekend. On Thursday, you'll hear the untold but true story of the Canadian social worker who didn't wait for the massive airlifts like the ones we see in the movies. Instead, Mark Zaretsky arranged for phony offers from Montreal universities and CEGEPs, he mailed fake wedding invitations, and he even fostered three Ethiopian sisters in his own home. And now a new research project is showcasing his heroic work.
1: You know, people just opened up their homes to, to, to children. The children from Ethiopia and it came with a lot of 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 child that was very challenging I imagine for an established family here in Montreal to come and say I'm opening my home I accept that they're Jewish I'm saving them from somewhere they don't speak a language they come with trauma they come separated like it's it's a massive humanitarian uh giving of yourself to do something like that and it just kind of I don't know it just people just did it it was it's unbelievable <laughs>
0: The Limud Toronto Festival takes place on Sunday, November 21st. Limud features educators, performers, authors, activists, and innovators from around the world. The Limud Festival of Jewish Learning celebrates creativity, diversity, inclusivity, and discussion. Everyone is welcome. All tickets to Limud are pay what you can. Learn more at limud.ca.